Welcome to Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. Earlier uh, this month, uh, we held our first ever private market symposium down in Charleston, South Carolina on the intermodal and logistics market. And uh, Erin McLaughlin and our private markets team, uh, herself, uh, Diana Alexander, and um, our other staff from Washington traveled down for the event. Uh, and interestingly enough, I guess good timing is that we had the event and Erin uh, just released the new private market brief on intermodal and logistics. Erin, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Yes, so, it, it wasn't it wasn't an accident, Jeff. So we timed it on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're we're crafty. We're crafty. We, we time like everything that. very well. So yes, we released our annual. As our some of our listeners know, we analyze five key uh, private markets with annual briefs that take sort of a deep dive in only four pages into that market. And we released our brief on intermodal and logistics last week, um, timed, you know, for our first ever private market symposium, which was focused on this market. And of course, we'll be doing this now throughout the year, uh, traveling around the country, going to hot geographic areas and having symposiums and releasing our briefs in time with those symposiums. So it was great to be in Charleston and it's a great city, but it's also the center of a lot of activity in the Southeast regarding this market. So tell us a little bit about the event. How, How was it? Um, you know, who spoke, um, you know, what were some of the highlights from the first symposium? Of course. So, uh, we intend for these symposiums to be pretty intimate events. So we had about 50 attendees and we also want them to be very client and market focused. So we really put together what I consider a great panel of clients that sort of follow the supply chain, you know? And so what we did was we started very big picture with uh, an economist that follows the global trade and supply chain. That was Walter Kemsey's. And he is the former um, head economist for Moffat Nickel, which is a, a well-known member firm that specializes in ports design. He also worked with Jones Lane LaSalle for many years, and now he's out on his own. And he gave us a really big picture on the supply chain, infrastructure, economics, and what is happening at that big picture. And then we followed that um, with speakers both from the Port of Savannah, which is the fastest growing port in the country, has been for quite a few years, um, with Chris Novak, who is their Senior Director of Engineering and Facilities Management. And we also had a speaker um, from the Port of Charleston, of course, and we went on a tour of that port later in the afternoon. Um, And we rounded out with a planner, a transportation planner that specializes in freight quarters, who is from um, the greater Charleston area, as well as a speaker from Norfolk Southern. We wanted to make sure we got our class one rail in there. And as many folks know, Norfolk Southern and CSX are the two that are the biggest players in the Southeast and really east of the Mississippi. And then we also had an industrial real estate panel discussion with some um with a broker a developer and a land use and uh economic development incentive attorney and then we had our keynote speaker was dr lynette cardoche um also with moffitt and nickel and she uh, is based in miami and specializes in resilience connected to the 
ports and intermodal sectors. So, you know, we sort of touched on all of the different client types within the supply chain um, and within industrial real estate and also talked about, you know, what remains the hot topic of the day in terms of um, resiliency. And you were also uh, welcomed by the mayor. We were welcomed by the mayor. Um, He was very charming. And, you know, of course, he's not an engineer himself, but he talked quite a bit about how important engineering and really stormwater management and sea rise has been um, to the city of Charleston and all that they're sort of doing to mitigate against um, future water-oriented events. So it was really interesting uh, to hear from him. And uh, there was like a very interesting theme that was sort of connected to the Dutch, you know, that he brought up and Dr. Cardoche brought up at our lunch talk, which I thought was really funny about how, you know, a lot of the designs that we're doing in our coastal cities in the U.S., um, are really connected to you know how to live with water, how to live so close to the water, and how to work so close to the water. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Charleston always. I mean, it seems like whenever you have a hot these days, at least a, a bad rainstorm, you know, the promenade and the area down by uh, the waterfront and the battery always floods. Right. It's a, um, so yeah. flooding. Yeah, it's always a concern. So it was good to have the mayor out. And, uh, of course, our CEO, Linda Bauerdar, was there as well. And and some members from, um, of course, ACC uh, South Carolina and Melvin Williams, um, one of our vice chairs, Tara Khan, was there. So great event. I mean, this is a perfect example of going out to the areas where um, we have a focus with these private markets and, and holding an event where we bring together speakers and thought leaders and this isn't theoretical stuff. This is this is these are experts talking to the business community in these areas. It's it's yeah. actionable information. Right. I mean, one of the great things about the event was sort of the passion that all of our speakers had for the trends that are happening. So, you know, and these are obviously very well connected to the trends that we laid out in the brief. So I thought maybe I would take a few moments just yeah. to go through the five trends. Absolutely. Hit on some of the key points for anyone that couldn't make the symposium. uh, I encourage you to go ahead and download the brief. It's now on acec.org under business resources. Um, You'll see private markets and then all of our briefs are posted, including this one on intermodal logistics. And so such as with all of our briefs, we go through and we highlight what we think are the five most significant trends that are impacting the market right now. And obviously this market is, I mean, when you turn on the business news, you even turn on regular news, this is what you hear. You open the newspaper, you call up your newspaper online. So, you know, we have a really, really compromised supply chain right now. And that sort of pressure related to the supply chain is largely due to labor, right? Because we have a truck driver shortage, um, which is, you know, hurting the port's ability and, you know, um, the the ability to sort of get freight moving at a fast pace. But, you know, some of this can be helped by infrastructure design and some of this can be helped by technology because, you know, people and workers are finite. So, you know, we have to do everything we can. So it was just really, really interesting to hear some of the creative solutions, particularly from our ports folks. 
um, that they are doing. I was really struck by Chris Novak with the Savannah Port describing how they have designed their tracks so that both CSX and Norfolk Southern can operate essentially on the same nine track beds that they split between the two. I believe it was nine. And so, you know, if one is, so they have to, you know, rail rail companies often were sort of like, as Chris said, cats and dogs. So this sort of forces them to work together, right? And, you know, and then all over the country, you know, we've seen with the IIJA, aka our infrastructure bill, which is now law, you know, that there are definitely some measures in there that will also help keep freight moving. You know, one yeah. of them is there are several points in the U.S. They don't exist in the Southeast, but they there's one in Baltimore. There's a couple other points in the U.S. where we have a double stack issue related to freight rail. So we have tunnels that really only accommodate a single stacked train. And we all know how expensive it is to redesign and reconstruct a tunnel, especially in some of these urban areas. But, you know, hopefully we will see um, some of that resolved, which will open up um, a couple of the bottlenecks in the U.S. as well. Um, and then, of course, you know, besides freight rail, our other bottlenecks, besides the ones actually at the port, are connected to, you know, roadways. And, you know, in the brief, just like we did in the previous issue, we feature the top 10 truck bottlenecks in the U.S. So, yeah, big surprise number one, Fort Lee, New Jersey, yes. I-95, <laughs> service route four. Average speed, 36.5 miles an hour. Peak average speed, 31 miles an hour. Now, now Jeff, this is the second time I have done this table. So <laughs> this year, you know, we obviously it's 2021, so we don't have data for this calendar year yet. We had 2020. But the previous mm -hmm. time I had done this table, it had 2019 data. Yeah. And the miles per hour were so much slower. So believe it or not, even though Things this looks pretty better. bad because of the pandemic, it actually got a little bit better in 2020. But as those of us that are out, out driving again and fully engaged into life, mm -hmm. we're going to have, you know, the traffic is resumed. So I expect yeah. next year when I do this table, the numbers will be even lower. Absolutely. I, I think that, you know, you look at the chart and it kind of makes, okay, you see Fort Lee, New Jersey, Cincinnati, Ohio, actually number two, number three and four, Atlanta, Georgia. Congratulations right. to take those spots. And it was interesting when um, Chris Novak with the Georgia Ports Authority got up and, and was talking about the Savannah Port. I was very proud because he actually took the brief up with him and pointed out these two bottlenecks that are, you know, up chain from the Port of Savannah in how, you know, they recognize that. And that's in part why they're creating inland ports, you know, which is something that, you know, a lot of our members have become familiar with. And a lot of these quote unquote inland ports are not connected to water. So they're really about where bringing rail service, you know, from the coastal cities up into, you know, freight quarters served by highways and freeways that can, take some more trucks off the road and make the supply chain a little bit more seamless. So I thought that was really important. And, you know, our speakers also did an excellent job in sort of, you know, when I was prepping them, I said, please do not show us pictures of all the beautiful projects that you have done. You know, as a former business development director, we don't want to see that. We want to see what your plan is in the future. What is growing? And so I encourage our members to come to future symposiums because that's where you hear from these clients about what's going to happen, right? Not just what happened. So I thought it was great that um, 
that Chris Novak shared with us, you know, which inland ports and which, you know, much further up the chain, same thing for our folks that came from the South Carolina Ports Authority, you know, what kind of growth that they would see in the quote unquote hinterlands, you know, and that for us, you know, those are opportunities that are connected both, you know, for class one rail, also potentially through, you know, departments of transportation and also with logistic companies that own a lot of these big sites at these inland ports and, you know, in these industrial real estate parks that we see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I found it interesting. The, um, when news of supply chain disruptions really started picking up and the secretary, Secretary Buttigieg, started talking about these pop-up distribution centers away from the ports to kind of help take some of the pressure off the transportation systems. I mean, essentially, that those are pop-up versions of what we need. Those inland ports, those inland distribution centers away from the water that can take a lot of that cargo and freight and get it away from the ports and put it onto highways and rail systems um, away from the choke points. And uh, it's, it's good to see that that seems to be a, a, a focus of development of, of these, of the, the future port infrastructure extending beyond the actual physical port into these inland ports. Right. And, you know, as we change demographically, you know, there's two things that have really caused two or three things that have really caused a very significant growth. One is the opening of the Panama Canal, you know, and, and I've many people have often heard me say that, you know, it's it just really opened about six or seven years ago. So, you know, we're still feeling the ripple effects of that. So now, you know, the the ports in the in the Gulf and in the southeastern part of the US are better prepped, you know, to take in those much larger ships, you know, with all of the container vessels. And so that has created that ripple effect that we see. At the same time, demographically, it is the Sunbelt region of the U.S. that is really experiencing, you know, it's all of our markets are kind of tied together. So like when we talk about the residential market, for example, which is so hot, 25% growth year over year, the states that are really seeing that growth are the Sun Belt, right? So basically from like the mid-Atlantic down through Texas over to Arizona. So, you know, when you think about where the people are moving, that e-commerce, which is one of the key, you know, the key trends that we've seen over the last few years, accelerated by the pandemic, that people are ordering things that they never ordered online, groceries, food, the need for cold storage, you know, then and then the needs for last mile, quote unquote, delivery, so if you want things one day, two day shipping, you need these urban warehouses to exist, you know, that need to be closer to cities and where the people live and demographic, you know, where the demographic pull is. And so all of these things have sort of combined to make for a really growing market. And one of the trends that we point out is that industrial real estate, again, not the sexiest market, you know, is the... For the ninth year running, according to the ULI, PricewaterhouseCoopers Emerging Trends in Real Estate Annual Report, for the ninth year running is the hottest real estate market sector. So, um, you know, vacancy rates are basically at 1%. They're below 5% in almost every market in the United States. In New York and Los Angeles, the greater New York and Los Angeles, you know, Inland Empire, New Jersey, et cetera, markets, they're almost at 0%. And you just cannot find 
warehouse space to put stuff that we need, you know, in place for this sort of just-in-time delivery uh, that we have all become accustomed to. And it's just, it's a, it's a really strong example of how our human behavior really does impact our, the design of our infrastructure. Yeah, and, and especially when you start looking at that distribution of population into the Sun Belt, and that's where the, like you mentioned, the fastest growing areas of commercial and residential real estate. I mean, that is largely because people are trying to get out of more densely populated areas <laughs> and get some more space. Right. The problem is that that last mile delivery, that becomes a longer mile. Because yes. you have a longer area. I mean, you look at Texas. That's a. I mean, that's a country in its own. Right. So when you talk about creating supply chains to fulfill that customer demand, you need that warehouse infrastructure to be able to get products to where they can actually get that last mile delivery right. and have that quick delivery over longer periods of of distance. Um, and that's where, yeah, that's that, like you said, that infrastructure is going to be shaped around where people are going. And that's going to really determine what is surrounding them for logistics. I thought it was also very interesting. One of our trends that we call out in the brief is the changing warehouse. And we had an industrial real estate panel at our symposium. And we talked a little bit about, you know, many folks may think it's very easy to design a warehouse or an industrial property because they're sort of imagining a greenfield, a big site. But in fact, you know, because they are getting more urban, they can be very, very challenging, you know. And so when these clients that we had, you know, discussed working with engineering firms, one of the key things they said was, you know, it was twofold. It was it was about how the site has to be designed for trucks to come in and out, to turn around, to have ease of right turns, right away, et cetera. But the other thing that was really interesting that we're hearing more about is in part because of the labor shortage and the need to attract workers, both as truck drivers and as warehouse workers, making the facilities nicer. You know, one of our panelists said, you know, having bathrooms, you know, that are accessible for the truck drivers to pull, when they pull into a warehouse, that they are able to come in you know, and maybe have an air-conditioned space to cool off, have restrooms to use. And that even goes to, you know, many analysts in this market are predicting that warehouses will have to get a little nicer, a little fancier. You know, they're going to have to be air-conditioned. Um, they're going to have to be attractive so that people want to come to work and want to continue to work in that facility. And uh, they're also going to have to become very sort of clean and technologically um, smart because there's actual, there's so many robots and so much technology that is being introduced into these building types because of the labor shortage, you know, and the Amazons and the others that are playing in this market are really pushing how far they can use, you know, for lack of a better word, robots and machinery to do the jobs that, you know, people would have done very, very recently. So it was really interesting um, to hear about that. And Walter Kemsey's our economist when he opened up and he was sort of describing some of these very futuristic trends, discussed how frankly frightening some of these robots are. 
that are occupying the warehouse, the warehouses and, and, you know, what they are actually doing and that they're not perfect and they often make mistakes. So, um, so it's just, it's a, it's an industry that's transforming and it's out of necessity. Absolutely. And then, and then you notice, I mean, these are big cost centers for a lot of these companies. And if, if you're a large retailer, and you're operating a number of warehouses, and you also have to hit corporate marks for environmental, yes. you know, cleanliness and, and 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 responsibility. That's a big area where you can help make a dent there. So these facilities also have to be designed with a greater eye towards reducing carbon emissions, right. uh, a smaller environmental footprint. Um, so that it's a, co- a net cost savings to the company regarding overhead, but also that it makes it a little bit more attractive for local communities to welcome in a warehouse if you can make the case that you're doing it in, in an environmentally friendly and conscious right. manner. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of this stuff is not in my backyard. You know, a lot of folks do not yeah. want, even in, you know, obviously we need them in more urban locations. A lot of folks do not want a, a warehouse or distribution center or somewhere where trucks are going to be pulling in and out. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a challenge. It's really interesting because as as some of our listeners and readers know, you know, we're tracking very closely much of ACEC, much of our staff in DC is close is tracking ESG and what ESG will mean, environmental, social, and governance sort of requirements, which are now largely voluntary for Fortune 500 and other companies. But we do expect within the coming year or two will be required and are becoming required for government contractors. And we expect that the SEC and um, some other federal agencies and administration uh, will continue to push this. And, you know, the two biggest carbon emitters are buildings and transport. So when a company looks to their supply chain and looks to how to reduce emissions, they are looking at the parts of the of the world that we design, buildings and mm-hmm. transport. So, you know, there's certainly opportunities there for us. And it's also important to know, you know, I sort of call out in our brief that that is really part of the continued growth of freight rail. You know, yeah. you can move a lot on very little, uh, with very little emissions on rail compared mm-hmm. to trucks. So, yeah. you know, it, it's interesting to see how that growth of freight rail will continue as companies try to think about how they can basically green their supply chain as close as, as, close as they can to try to get to net zero. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I, I really encourage everyone to take a look at this brief because there's a lot of great information here. Um, and it covers a lot of ground. Um, you know, we, we've covered a lot of the main points, the big top five, um, but just the graphs that kind of detail, you know, port growth, um, the fastest growing port, ports, uh, the expenditures on uh, class run, class one rail, um, and, and just a number of other things. I mean, it's a great, great brief to have on hand to help you better understand this market. And uh, go over to acec.org, business uh, resources, you'll see the uh, private markets page, and uh, you can download the brief right there. You'll also see, uh, right on the top of the page, uh, a link to our symposium series, and it's never too early to start talking about the next one, which is coming up actually in the spring, 
It's going to be in March, and it's going to be on the commercial and residential real estate market in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, Aaron, can you yeah. give us kind of a, a preview of what to expect from that event? Absolutely. So knowing that the Sun Belt is the fastest growing region of the U.S., uh, we decided to have our event in Scottsdale. And it's also, you know, who who doesn't want to go to Arizona in the winter? So bring your golf right. clubs if you want to join us. And similar to the symposium we just held, we will have a, um, a cocktail reception on the Thursday night, March 3rd. And then... Uh, almost full day of programming on Friday. So um, we are going to really highlight some of the big trends that we are seeing. Um, we're going to talk to clients, you know, in the commercial and residential real estate markets. And we're also going to tackle some trends. So, you know, we're going to talk about the heat island effect, what it's like to design in a hotter environment. Um, we're, gone, we're going to also explore mass timber and how mm -hmm. that that you know is going to be used in commercial real estate largely because the code that changed earlier this year and you know our ability to maybe capture some carbon by using different materials um so it's going to be very exciting and um and then you know for the one we just had in charleston we topped our day off with a, a tour of the port which was really amazing it was if, if anyone is ever has the opportunity to go and walk beneath these cranes and to get up in them and to really experience it. It was wonderful. But we obviously will not be going to a, to a coastal port in Scottsdale, but we will also be having um, probably a hard hat tour. We're sort of in development of that, but um, of a very interesting building in the Phoenix area on that Friday afternoon to close us out. Yeah, it, it sounds like a great event. I mean, the first one was fantastic. It brought a cross-section of the business community in the low country together to talk about a very important topic. We expect the one in Scottsdale on commercial and residential real estate to do the same. And uh, again, these are designed for people who are engaged in engineering and in the business community. And, and the, we're not talking academic stuff here. We're actually talking about usable business information, trends and industry developments that help in business development and just getting a better sense about what the regional economy is doing. So if you are a leader uh, in the engineering space, in the real estate space, in uh, the Sunbelt, in Scottsdale, in Arizona, uh, really encourage you to take a look at the website and um, all the information for registering for the event. It's going to be a good time. Yes, it will. We look forward to seeing folks. And of course, if anyone has any questions, they can certainly drop me an email. My contact information is on our private markets resources page. Next up, we'll be doing our December economic report. Yes. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. That will be our next, our next uh, video coming out. Yes. Will be our December economic yes. report. Um so really looking forward to that. Aaron, thank you as always for coming on the show and uh, providing some of your expertise on a very important segment of what ACEC does, and that is the private market. Uh, people like to look at ACECs and say, oh, well, you guys just do infrastructure. Not true. We have a big focus on the vertical markets, on private markets, and the firms that do business in them. And um, the proof is here with the briefs and with all the work that Aaron and her team is doing to get this information out to you. So thank you again, Aaron, for being part of the program. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you. 
And again, this has been Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. We'll see you real soon.